Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. On our show last week, we were joined by Dr. Robert Berenson, an expert on healthcare policy. We spoke about the advantages and disadvantages of the patchwork U.S. healthcare system, what its strengths are, and some of its considerable weaknesses, especially regarding coordination of care, the poor value that we get for the tremendous amount of money we put into that system. On today's show, we're going to be discussing with Dr. Berenson ways to improve our healthcare system, uh, changing incentive structures, trying to get better quality at lower cost. Dr. Berenson is an expert uh, in this area. He's practiced medicine. He helped organize and manage a successful medical care organization, and he served in senior positions in two administrations. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Berenson. We have issues of cost and issues of quality. Um, I, I take it they're linked. We understand the concept of moral hazard, and with knowing that a third party is paying for things, knowing that we have to control costs, and we're, it sounds like you're you're saying the consumer themselves can't control the cost, then it sounds like what we're saying is you're, you're going to tell me that there's going to be ways that the third party, the payer, whether it's government or private insurers, they're going to have to be the one to negotiate, um, to set the prices. They're going to have to have the power to tell the patients what they can and cannot have. It, it's, and, and that may be entirely reasonable, um, yeah, and I think you're leaving one party out of that discussion, Yeah, which are the doctors and the other clinicians. Um, and, uh, and, and what I mean by that is we, we have a system uh, which is called fee-for-service, uh, which rewards professionals for the more they do, the more revenue they generate, the higher their compensation. Um, and unfortunately, there's just increasing studies and anecdotes that are documenting that uh, in response to these uh, volume-generating incentives, uh, physicians and others generate a lot of volume and raise costs. And a lot of this doesn't benefit patients. Some of it does, but a lot of it doesn't. So there are systems in the, in the country, and California actually has a lot of them, in which uh, they've abandoned fee-for-service. The physicians organize themselves into groups or even uh, what's called an independent practice association made up of small independent physicians. Uh, But the key difference is that they have essentially um, uh, to work within a budget. They have a fixed pot of money based on 
uh, a per capita allocation or payment, um, and they have to make it work with the patients. And uh, from the experience in California, uh, it is, seems pretty clear that quality is as good or better than in other parts of the country, and uh, the cost trend is lower. They were they started with were pretty high costs, but they're, they've now actually, um, that's no longer, California no longer is, is amongst the most expensive places. So a lot of the hope in, in the health reform legislation is around new payment models to change the incentives um, and also to hope that, uh, or, or to actually set into motion uh, uh, that physicians and others would organize themselves differently so that they would be attendant to costs and uh, practice a more prudent style of medicine, now, which again has been shown to produce uh, as good or better quality. Um, so, so that's what, what I think the main action needs to be. Um, as I understand, this is and basically so the what companies or the payers do have a role, but this is not the kind of managed care intrusion that created a backlash in the 90s where you had a, a nurse at an insurance company uh, overruling a doctor. Yeah, let's and, talk about this uh, for a moment. telling a doctor, no, you can't order a certain test or order do a certain procedure because our protocol says you can't do it uh, under this new form of, of a, under this new approach, the doctors themselves would... Um, would practice a more prudent form of uh, medicine. Now, this and, is something uh, that, that there goes... wouldn't be some somebody else at the insurance company second guessing them. Yeah, Dr. Berenson, back in the '70s, I think Medicare transitioned to prospective payment. It was the topic of a book you wrote on Medicare payment policy and the shaping of U.S. healthcare. Is is that the kind Hello? of thing you're talking about now? I'm sorry, I, there was some garble there. I didn't hear the question. Well, back in the 70s, the um, Medicare changed how they paid hospitals um, with prospective payment. It was the topic of, of a book you wrote. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that story and how successful that approach was. Yeah, no, actually, that's it's an interesting story because uh, uh, it, it occurred in the early 80s, actually, and it came out of a deal between the Democratic... House of Representatives, uh, the Republican Senate, uh, and uh, President Reagan. Um, and uh, clearly, uh, the president uh, re desired a sort of market-oriented approach to, to health care. And yet, in this situation, Medicare had been paying hospitals their actual costs and then a little more for the provision of care. And that uh, by, on its very, by its very nature, had no incentives for the hospital to try to hold their costs down. The more they did, the more they got paid. They were paid for their costs. So they uh, uh, put in a system called prospective payment, uh, which uh, started officially in 1985, in which uh, there was a fixed amount paid for a patient based on their diagnosis, and that changes dramatically the incentives for the hospital. Now they're going to get a fixed amount, and if they can be efficient, if they can um, uh, do all the needed care in five days rather than seven days, 
they are going to do better financially, and that's exactly what's happened. Uh, there was concern at the time. Even I wrote a paper now, but I think I, uh, well, I think I was wrong. I said this is going to produce a system of, of discharges quicker and sicker. Yes. Um, so, but it didn't happen. And, and that's interesting because um, there are some countervailing forces in the in in the system that uh, that prevent people from being prematurely discharged. I'm sure it happens some, but if you uh, pre- prematurely discharge somebody so they suffer a catastrophic problem, there's a potential of liability. There's uh, doctors follow their professional ethics to uh, to not discharge prematurely. In any case, it's a, it's a, you know there's still some potential for problems, but it, it worked very well, and I think that's that is what I'm suggesting. But instead of paying each sector of the health delivery system, the hospital, each individual physician, uh, each home health agency, based on their own prospective payment. Uh, I think what we're talking about and what the California model uh, has now demonstrated over a couple of decades is you you pay an organization that has all of those components within it a, a single amount per patient, and they sort out um, how to uh, provide high-quality, efficient care within that within that budgetary amount. But it's an elaboration of just what you suggested of instead of paying for the actual fees that doctors charge uh, or the cost that a hospital bears, you you prospectively pay a certain amount and those uh, people have to live within it. They then make more prudent choices. Now, I guess the concern I have is what you were saying about the 90s. I don't understand... What distinguishes this model from the model that you said in the 90s didn't work, where we basically paid people not to take care of them? Well, I, the way I interpreted the 90s is that uh, uh, the insurance companies uh, tried to set up a lot of rules uh, and tried to regulate the doctors and patients about what they could get. Um, so they all had gatekeepers. You can't go to a specialist unless you get an authorization. You can't have a, uh, a procedure unless you get approval from us. Um, and that's what I think people found uh, pretty intrusive and it wasn't particularly successful. What I think is really different and what I'm suggesting is that instead of having uh, rules set by the insurance company over trying to regulate the behavior of doctors, you actually change the way doctors get paid, and they will then have a built-in reason to practice differently. You don't have to have a set of rules. Uh, the doctors just uh, have now a, a changed set of incentives. There needs to be concern about the doctors under these incentives maybe stinting on care, uh, maybe not providing everything that somebody might benefit from. Uh, we now have a much better ability, even than in the 90s, to measure in a number of those areas whether stinting is going on, and we can sanction or even uh, uh, penalize uh, those who are sort of systematically uh, denying people needed care. Uh, but it, it's, uh, I have enough trust in most health professionals that I think they will practice uh, ethical medicine uh, but no longer have this incentive to just generate lots of volume because of all the revenue it generates. 
You know, I have tremendous uh, trust in physicians. And so, but, but what I'm hearing is I can't trust them in a fee-for-service system because they're paid, you know, to generate, to, to, to do too much care. And now we're talking about switching to a system where the incentive will be to give less care, but we're going to trust, we can't trust them in fee-for-service because they provide too much, but we can trust them in this other well, system. You're, you're raising a very good issue. I guess there's so much excess in the system. I think there's pr- plenty of, of leeway to still practice high quality uh, and, uh, and have enough money, and I think we need to have protections in the system. But that's basically what I am suggesting. Uh, and what, uh, yeah, I think that is right. Let, let me ask uh, if you have time. Can you tell me um, sort of concretely an example of how you would measure and penalize? Oh well, in California, there's uh, uh, they have a whole list of, uh, of, of prevention services and primary care services like rates of colonoscopy screening, uh, rates of uh, mammography testing. If you get, if you pay a medical group a, a fixed amount for taking care of a population, uh, the concern is they won't do those kinds of prevention activities, which do have a cost. Um, so you can actually monitor uh, the level of uh, compliance on those basic important prevention uh, modalities. And uh, if, in fact, you, you find out that a group is simply not doing screening mammograms uh, on the women who should be getting them, uh, you can uh, hold back some of their money. You can kick them out of the program. Yeah. You can, it depends on what the, uh, uh, you know, about how, how, what their level of performance is and vice versa. You can give them bonuses if they achieve high levels of performance um, on, on those kinds of tests. Now, I actually happen to be somebody who who thinks there's a lot of excellent health care that we can't measure. So I don't want to hang all of my policy on our ability to measure, but there are some, some important areas of health care that we can measure. And in this area, I do recommend uh, let's uh, have the physicians have to feel uh, some consequences of ordering too many tests and performing too many imaging services um, and let's also monitor that they're not skimping on care for patients. I think that is the right way to 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 go. Fair enough. That I... does mean really. That does mean changing the business model for hospitals and doctors. Uh, and so I would do that over time. I still like the idea of having the patient have an incentive to be questioning whether or not they should be having that test, and some incentive to call around to different MRIs and see where they could get yeah. the best the best deal, because if they did that, I think that would help control costs like nothing else. Well, I, uh, you know, that assumes that an MRI is a commodity, that you get the same quality of an MRI anywhere you go, and there have been some studies that suggest that's not the case. Uh, I, you know, I think for for things that truly are like commodities where there's equivalent quality, uh, perhaps you can go in that direction. Uh, and I, well, let me make another point is I distinguish consumers and patients. Uh, I think we have to do a lot to get patients uh, to, to have more uh, control over their own health care, uh, to be given information about where uh, the best places are based on the results that the different places get, for example, on, on treating a certain kind of cancer. 
uh, certain kind of heart disease. So I am all for empowering patients to have more decision-making authority of where to get care. I'm simply saying the idea that they're going to be shoppers and are going to be able to evaluate the relative quality and costs of what are in, the, in most of the time pretty technical areas. I mean, it may be that we can get enough standardization of MRIs that patients can shop for MRIs, but, um, but do we... Uh, uh, go shop for uh, pathology services, or do we go shop for which endocrinologist to see if you've got uh, uh, diabetes? I'd rather um, uh, give them, uh, I think the physician's judgment in terms of referring to somebody should be important. And I also think there's some value in, in, in um and physicians talking to each other and growing sort of comfortable knowing each other. So to simply give the patient a slip and say, go get an MRI anywhere you can find a good deal, I don't think necessarily gives you a better outcome than if you actually have, have uh, physicians working with a particular uh, set of radiologists uh, who they know and who they talk to. Um, and can really talk about the results rather than just getting a piece of paper back in the mail or even an electronic communication uh, over the computer from some doctor you've never heard of before telling you something. Um, I, I really do think there's value in trying to form these tighter relationships in, uh, in organized uh, systems of care. Um, so it is a different philosophy. Uh, I think there's a role for this for for consumers to have some more choices, but but I don't think it's the game changer, like I said earlier. Okay, you have been incredibly um, uh, ch charitable and giving your time to our listeners uh, so much of it today. Thank you so so much. Any final thoughts for our listeners about their health or their, our healthcare system? Um, I guess the final thing I would say, just just today we've identified, oh, I don't know, three, four, five different issues on which uh, you and I have reasonable disagreements or we agree in some areas, don't agree in others. Magnify that by putting it into a political context, putting it in a context uh, where there's a lot of uh, vested interests. Um, it, it shows how difficult it is to move the health care system. Um, and yet how important it is to have this kind, these kinds of discussions about it. Um, I guess uh, my final point would be that, uh, um, that I don't think anybody is seriously suggesting uh, a government takeover of health care. That's not what the, the recent legislation represented, um, and, and I would hope we could have rational discussions about uh, about what will or won't work in the health legislation rather than just sort of uh, denunciations of government takeovers and things like that. But I do appreciate that some people have very strong views about what just happened. Um, so that, thank you for, uh, for this opportunity. Oh, my goodness. That was one of those profoundly important points, I think, that anybody has made on our program. Thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thanks. This two-part episode of Getting Better Healthcare with Dr. Berenson, I think, illustrates in the global sense the strengths and the weaknesses of the American healthcare system. And Dr. Berenson makes critically important points about 
how things are going to change. Perhaps first and foremost is we, we all care about people's health. We all want to see things get better. We can start by having um, a, friend, a more friendly um, discussion of it. Now, there's going to be disagreements, and those disagreements are probably magnified um, so many times over by, well, political issues. But in addition to that, all the interests, the doctors, the hospitals, the insurers, all the different people, patients at play. And I hope you've been left with a sense of the ultimate problem here with having this patchwork system of health care in which the person obtaining the health care, uh, you know, of course, wants the best possible care, um, but somebody else is paying for it. Society is considered to have arguably some uh, responsibility for making sure that everyone has adequate care. Um, you know, it comes down to uh, the consumer having choices and responsibility for paying, which Dr. Barron says is impossible. Uh, he says maybe it's been tried on a small level and it helps a little bit, but you really can't expect people to um, to be responsible for making their own health care decisions. It's too complicated. Or you put it on, you know, third-party agencies, insurers, where you end up with problems like the insurance company doesn't want to pay for something that the patient thinks that they're entitled to. And a system that Dr. Barron said said in the 90s doesn't work. Or you, you put the financial decisions on the doctor, um, which we do in some sense in fee-for-service, and we see how that threw costs through the roof and made people get too much care. And on some of our shows, we've even talked about how some a lot, a lot of that care is hurtful to people, not even helpful to them. That said, we still have a great system. People are getting great care, and we don't want to lose the great parts of the system. Um, so Dr. Berenson says, well, we can shift the incentives on the doctors to one where they're, they're incentivized to control costs. But, you know, I trust doctors a lot. And yet, as a physician, I, I really would not want to be in the pickle of a situation where I'm deciding whether somebody gets a test or not um, that, that may have some value to them but that uh, I'm going to hold back because of costs. I mean, that's certainly not in a position I would want to be in. It will be interesting to see how the consolidation of our healthcare industry helps us because in, in the world we live today where people are buying all the different parts of the healthcare car and trying to put it together and drive it on the highway and somebody else paying for all those pieces, it's just not ideal. Um, as the healthcare system consolidates, perhaps it will be more like truly buying a car that you won't have your choice of doctor, you won't have your choice of hospital, um, you won't have your choice of medicine. But what you will get to choose is which health system you want to go with. So you don't pick and choose which engine you want, which transmission you want, and build your own car, but you do decide do you want a Toyota 
or do you want a Chrysler, or do you want a General Motors? And even within each of those major companies, they have different different cars, and you can buy a smaller car, or you can buy a bigger car that meets your needs. And as we move towards consolidated health systems, it may be that you'll be able to choose your system um, the way you choose a car, and you'll get all your health care within that system, and that that there will still be enough competition between those different healthcare systems that, uh, like cars, um, th- that competition is able to hold down prices. I think ideally, um, consu- the, the patient, the consumer, uh, the public has to be responsible in some way for deciding how much money they want to spend on healthcare and what kind of healthcare they want to get. And to the extent that we don't do that, to the extent that we leave those decisions uh, to a third-party insurer or to the government, um, we can do that. And, but, you know, there's certain advantages and disadvantages that come with that. And so on that note, I will leave you for today. On next week's program, we'll be speaking with Todd Harrison. He's a senior fellow for Defense Budget Studies at the Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments. Yes, that's right. We're going to be talking about the military's budget on a health care program. This should be a fascinating topic, and I do hope you'll join us. Well, our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next week, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.